Well, I think uh, we have quite a few people who are probably out today because of sickness. I know I was out almost all last week. <laughs> I got hit with something real bad. I don't know if anybody else has been pretty sick recently, but uh, just keep praying for those that are that are going through it right now. Uh, there's some there's a sickness that's going around, and it's and uh, and I'm definitely not down with that sickness. I don't like it. So some of you got that reference, but um, <laughs> remember, I was a youth pastor for ten years, so. Um, so anyway, I, uh, I, I'm glad I'm feeling better, and so I, I might cough a little bit here and there. I'm a little congested, but uh, by God's grace, we'll get through this. Amen? Hey, i got a little story here I want to share with you. It's about a kid named Stephen. Stephen was actually in his first week at college, and he was interested in a class he'd signed up for called The Bible is Literature. Now, the professor seemed really fun and obviously brilliant. Stephen figured she probably knew pretty much everything about the Bible. Welcome. Class, Dr. Swanson smiled at the start of the opening session. We're going to begin with Jonah. The students stopped staring at their phones and looked up. It only took Stephen about ten seconds, though, to notice the girl two chairs over from him. He knew there would be cute girls in college. Many of you have heard the Bible story of Jonah, she said, a man who was swallowed by a big fish. But does anyone here actually believe that that happened? Stephen looked around the class to see if anyone else would raise their hand. Well, no one did, and most importantly, the cute girl next to him didn't. So he didn't raise his hand either. Exactly, the professor continued. There's no way Jonah could have been swallowed by a fish. It's just a literary device. A literary device? The professor explained how ancient writers used stories like this to illustrate a point. In fact, the prof continued, the story of Jonah was similar to other stories written by other ancient writers. Not only was it not a real story, but it was probably just a borrowed story from ancient fiction. Now, inside, Stephen panicked. Why didn't my youth leaders and my youth pastor and my pastor at church talk to me about this in high school? Were they hiding something from me? He wondered. Is this professor telling the truth? The professor continued. Stephen started wondering if the Bible fit the category she assigned to Jonah, fiction. He had always loved his church and Jesus and as best as he could, but his whole world was suddenly filled with doubt about his faith. Surprised at himself, Stephen started to ask himself a deeper question. Is faith in God something you do when you're just a kid until you know better? See, once he felt so sure of where he was going, but now he seemed to be in the middle of uncharted territory, lost and without a map. The sad truth is this is a common story, all too common. And if I were to ask, especially those that maybe have grown up in the church, if I were to, just by a show of hands, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but if I were to ask, you know, how many of you have truly doubted or had questions and you just felt like, oh my gosh, like I, I, I don't know, right? Because sometimes in life, see, we, we, we put God in this little tiny box, but then something comes along that's bigger than that box and we can't fit it in there. And so sometimes, the, well, in fact, most times today, the prevalent way is just to throw the box out as if God just wasn't big enough to fit the responses or the circumstances or the stuff in this world, the questions that we can face. And Stephen, very much so, is just, I think, exemplifying a lot of what's going on in our culture today. In fact, one recent poll by the Evangelical Covenant Denomination states that 83% of Americans don't attend church. 83%. That's huge. 
That means there's 83% of, of, of over 300-something million people in America do not experience God's grace, God's love, God's truth, God's purpose, God's plan for their life on a weekly basis. That should shock us. I mean, I don't know if you know this. I just found this out not too long ago, but this, was, this blew my mind. In the 1960s, the LA Times used to have, have a, on the Sunday morning, used to have a weekly prayer and, and, and Bible message. In the, in the LA Times. <laughs> that blew me away. I mean, we've gone from, to some extent, a very accepted understanding of Jesus in our culture, which shaped our culture, if you look at the forefathers, to a place now where we're very post-Christian. And, and, and we really don't have to think about the mission field necessarily as something overseas. We can look at, at the mission field as over our back door fence, you know, our backyard fence. So we need to, we need to look at this in context. That's why I, I want to give props, by the way, to, to uh, Dick and Becky Ashley and Mark Ashley. Um, they're our, kind of our set coordinators and set builders. And, and what took Dick and Becky six hours to do would have taken Jason and I, what, two weeks? <laughs> I, it was funny. It took us three days to hang these paintings. Three days! Because we're not paid to do that. Let's just put it that way. That's not our skill set, right? He makes money with his hands playing and his voice singing, not hanging paintings, right? We're not that great at it. We do it, but we're not that great. And we get someone like Dick and Becky in here, and they do it in six hours, which is awesome. And they did a great job. So I'm pointing them out because they need to be pointed out sometimes for doing some amazing stuff. So if you see them and you like what you see, just tell them thank you. Um, but the, the, what we're doing here is, is, is a new sermon series. And, and to some extent, what this reflects is, is those light bulbs that need to go on in those cloudy, murky, sometimes dirty windows that we don't get of what's going on behind it. And those are those questions. I guess if we were to put it, put it into a, a simple thing, is we're looking at eight hard questions in eight weeks. That questions on faith and Christianity. Um, and, and the actual title is, can I, can I ask that? Because I think a lot of times we are afraid that if we actually ask a question or if we doubt, then something's wrong with us. As if not getting it makes us wrong. Sometimes, maybe you've experienced this, you know. Sometimes I'll ask a question in, in a Bible study. I mean, again, I, I, I used to work with kids for 10 years and I would ask a question and nobody wanted to answer. Why? Because they were afraid of being wrong. And this has been drilled into us for so long. And, and, and honestly, when we're on our journey with Jesus, it's not about being wrong and right. It's about following and living and walking with God every day. And sometimes we don't get it. And God is a lot bigger than our questions. God is a lot bigger than our doubts. And He's okay with being questioned. It's just we have a tendency to, to really struggle with that. And so what we've done in churches a lot of times is really not allowed for a place where we can struggle in these things. Where church should be the safe place. Church should be a place where we get together and we say, man, I'm struggling with this. You get what I'm saying? You know, church should not only be a place where we say, hey, I've got an addiction issue. Or, or I, I, I'm struggling in my marriage. But it should also be a thing where, you know what, it says this in the Bible, but I don't really understand that. In fact, I don't even know if that's true. Please help me. See, that's what they did for hundreds of years. Again, I, I've said this before, but the, but the Bible wasn't written to people who, who could all read. 97% of people in that time were illiterate. 
And so there was that select few. In fact, in fact if, if, if we were really to look at this, there's probably one person in a church at the time that could actually read. And they would read it and they would read a verse and everybody would talk about it. And there's a time actually when Paul is dealing with this and he's talking and he's, you know, he's telling people about the scriptures and the Bereans were like, wait a minute, what's going on here? We don't get this. And they question Paul and Paul commends them. <coughs> he commends them for questioning and doubting and saying, what's going on? I don't get this. And he leads them through it. <coughs> and the mission church wants to be a place where we do that. All right. So today we want to address the first hard question. And that first real tough question, many of you might struggle with this or you've struggled with this before, or maybe it's not something you've necessarily struggled with, but other people have struggled around you and maybe you can now better answer after today and give that hope. But this question is really simple and it's, can I really trust the Bible? Can I really trust the Bible? Now, the pat answer for a Christian is, yeah, of course, I can trust the Bible. That's the pat answer. But we really want to look at this in a way that, that it, makes, it makes sense. And so one of the things that I would have, if you're taking notes, is God never intended us to put down our brains when we pick up his book. See, God never intended to, to, to have us put down our brains while we pick up his book. But a lot of people do this. Like I said, and so, really, we don't want to ignore some of the doubts in this, some of the hard questions. And this is that hard question. And so what I would like to say is today, if we're looking at a take-home truth, today we want to answer this with a firm yes. And not just because we want to, but because the take-home truth is we can trust the Bible because it's true. We truly can trust the Bible because it's true. All right? So do me a favor. We want to point you, always point back to Scripture and so if you could stand right up, we're going we're gonna to read out of the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. And Paul addresses this same issue with, when he's talking to a young pastor who's leading people who are looking at the Bible for the first time saying, okay, is this true? Now verse 10 says this, You, however, so Timothy, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions and sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, you can be seated. Um, ma many of you, oh, thank you so much. Yeah. See, back in the day, it was easy to get rid of a cough like this. Back when I was in college, I just would have switched from uh, Camel Wides to Marlboro Lights. <sighs> Sorry. That's the truth. <laughs> so, the Lord delivered me from that. Um, but see, now Paul's doing something here. He's reminding Timothy of something very truthful. Okay, he, he, He's reminding him of, of, of the world we live in. 
of, of the tough circumstances, of the hard times of the world we live in. And, and, and the world hasn't changed much back then. When you, when you kind of go through a comparison of, of what they dealt with and what we deal with today, it's very similar. It's very similar. And it was hard to be on the journey of faith with Jesus then as it is now. And so Paul is, is, is letting him know, look, this world is tough. And, and, and he says, like, I've been through it. You know. And his, his life was turned upside down because he chose to believe the Bible is true and follow it. But that's the awesome thing. He's telling Timothy, see, you're doing the same thing. And you're, you're going to get it. But when you do... The Lord will rescue you from all of this. This is what he said. He says, he goes through it and he says, look, you trust God's word. This is what I've had to go through. But Paul affirms all this when he says, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. This is interesting what Paul does. Because again, now, some of you out there are, 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 are you, you know this. Um, I didn't know this until I started studying it later on. But they didn't have a New Testament when Paul was writing this. Paul's writing New Testament. So when he speaks of the Holy Scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. And so very much so when Paul is writing, everything he does is it's, it's linked to the Old Testament. So even when he says, yet the Lord rescued me, he's using a very understandable that Timothy would have got because Timothy's um, mom and grandma were of the Jewish faith and, and the Jewish tradition and the Jewish culture. And he would, they, would have, they would have understood this and taught Timothy this. But that idea of rescue is delivered. And what Paul is saying here, he's using this illustration of the Israelites. See, the Israelites had followed God to Egypt and they found themselves in slavery for 400 years. Like, really hard. I mean, slavery. You don't get any harder than that. And they found themselves in slavery, calling out to God, saying, we're here, what are you going to do about it? And God sends Moses to what? Deliver them. Rescue them. The same words that Paul is using. Because see, when we follow God's truth, God will deliver us. He will rescue us. And Paul is illuminating to this. See, when the rubber meets the road, Paul trusted God and God guided him through the circumstances. He led him out. Just like the Israelites. Now, back in the day, I was this thing called a process server. Now, it's funny because when I became a process server, I had no idea what it was. There was a guy in my church who said, Hey, I got a job. Do you want one? Sure, I need a fifth job. Okay, so I took it. Um, and it was one of those jobs, the reason I took it, because I could start at 8.30 at night, 9 o'clock at night, and, and drive around. And um, he said, yeah, it's cool. You know, you just go to people's houses and you just drop off papers. Well, I found out that those papers were divorce papers. Those papers were subpoenas. Those papers were, hey, you're getting sued. So it wasn't a fun job as far as that goes. I was kind of the bad messenger, Nobody wanted to see me. And the interesting thing is, when I watched TV at that time in the 90s, you never saw a process server. Nowadays, though, I watch TV, you know, you watch like Law and Order or certain things like that. Um, you'll see a, a, a process server all the time. They're like, you've been served, you know, and they do that. They try to find the person because you have to, in California especially, you have to know you're giving it to the right person. Otherwise, it, it, it's not valid in, in, in the courts. So what seems simple actually was very difficult. Because he would give me a stack of papers like this high, and, and each one was like, you know, that thick or whatever. And, and he would say, okay, you've got to find, here's the address or the supposed address of such and such a person. By the way, these people didn't want to be found most of the time. They knew the courts were coming after them. 
And so a lot of them lived off of dirt roads or, you know, had like five pit bulls in their front yard. <laughs> you know, it wasn't easy. Let's just put it that way. I, and I think I was only paid like 15, 20 bucks per thing. Like it, it wasn't exactly a ton of money here. But what was crazy was here I would have this stack and it was all about the preparation because I had to find my roots. I had to know where I was going. I had to know what I think. So I relied on the gold standard of the day in the 90s. Thomas Guides. This was my time. Now, you see how it's split down the middle like that? Dude, I had four of them for four counties, okay? And they were stacked up next to me. And it wasn't just the Thomas Guide. It was the zip code edition. Oh, yes. Awesome. Love this. Yeah, I'm geeking out on these things. Because I never realized how important this was until I got... Because the guy that I got the job from, he was like, you're going to need this. And I'll tell you, the, the most updated one, man, I got so good with Thomas guys, I could just whip, and I was quick. I was really quick. And, and the funny thing is, when, you know, when GPS came out later, I could still use these and find it better than a GPS. You know what I mean? And so, but there were times when I still got lost, even with these bad boys. And even today, with GPS, you ever found that you're following it, and all of a sudden it's like, you have arrived, and you haven't arrived... Like, I'm hungry and all, but this is Roscoe's chicken and waffles. I'm looking for grandma's house. You know, like this isn't happening. I don't know how I got here, but I got here. I mean, that's the truth, right? See, even with the technology and the GPS and the best maps we get today, we can still get lost. We can still get stuck. You see, we're still people in need of a deliverer to be rescued. Because life is hard. Life is tough. And we can find, just like Paul, just like Timothy, we get, in this, we get in this lost state. And so, very much so, what I'd love to do is point you to the best maps that we can have. The Bible. It's so true. And it does deal with the stuff today. And it can lead you in this crazy world. So what I would like to say, if you're taking notes again, is we can trust the Bible to be the maps we need in this crazy world. See, Paul points Timothy back. He says in verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you've learned. What have you learned? Well, you've become convinced of. And again, we learn that that, that word learned is what you've walked in, what, what you've actually been discipled in, what you've understood from the beginning, and what you've actually done. And again, he says become convinced of. You know it's true. Because you know from those from whom you've learned it. You've seen it work in other people's lives. You see what he's doing? He's just lining up this very understandable, logical argument that just makes sense. And how from infancy you have known what? Comes all back to it. The Holy Scriptures, the Bible, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Will it tell you exactly what stock to invest in? No. <laughs> what job exactly? Go for? No. But what does he say? He says, the, the bottom line is for your eternal destiny, for your salvation in Christ Jesus. See, we have the evidence. We have the maps. And I want to show you these maps. But let me just start with this. Because I get this a lot. People want 100% assurity. Anybody else out there like me, you want 100% guarantee. My dad used to sell no guarantee, no warranty on pools we built. People would always question him. Why do you not have a warranty? These other guys have a warranty. 
And he says, you know why they have a warranty? No. Because it's null and void with seismic activity. Every single pool that's built in their warranties, it's null and void with seismic activity of a certain amount in your area. By the way, go to JPL, the Seismic Activity Center, and you will find that there's thousands of mini quakes every year that null and void your warranty on your pool. And he was right. Because when it comes down to it, there really is no guarantee. That's 100%. When my pool and my old house came up out of the ground, I called up my insurance, which was supposed to take care of things. You know what they said? Act of God. (laughs) Isn't that why I'm paying you? Yes, but it was an act of God. So you're saying God doesn't like me? (laughs) I mean, that's why I'm paying for insurance, right? For the guarantee. There's no guarantee. One of my favorite movies. You know, it's it's actually, life's not fair, but then they're trying to sell you something. But the truth is, if anybody's telling you that there's a 100% guarantee in life, they're trying to sell you something. Let me illuminate this a little bit better. You see, when I got married... I've been married almost 17 years now and I love my wife with all my heart and I'm the most blessed man in the world. When I walked down that aisle and I, I, didn't, I didn't have cold feet. You know, I was 21 years old. I didn't have cold feet at all. But let me just say this. I didn't have 100% certainty that it was going to work. She didn't either. Nobody does. I couldn't look into her being or look into the future and say, this is a 100% guarantee. I couldn't. I could not know that. None of us do. And God's not asking us to have that 100% surety. But let me just say, we can trust Him every day. We can have an assurity in God and in His Bible. And so that's what I want to take you on. If you're looking for a 100% guarantee, you'll always be looking for one. But we can trust that God's Word is true. And that's what I want to point you to. Because I know after 17 years, I'm in the marriage I was supposed to be in. And it's been proven every day. And I'm more sure of Jesus. And I'm more sure of His Word as I've been following Him. Do I still have my doubts sometimes? Oh, you betcha. But it's been proven over and over. So I want to take you on those maps that God has for us. There's three or four things here, and it just spells out that acronym MAPS. So this makes it easy for you in remembering this, because this is how I have to remember it. First, in the maps, your M is manuscripts. Manuscripts. So, see, there, there are many copies of the biblical manuscripts with remarkable consistencies between them. There's more than any other classics in the world, like Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. There is nobody, in fact, of ancient literature in the world which enjoys such a wealth of good textual attestation as the New Testament, quote, end quote, by a very smart dude. Not me. See, this, was, this has been tr- proven over and over. Now, a good example of this, because it's one thing to say, oh, they've got all the body of testaments, you know, or, or, or of manuscripts. They have more manuscripts than anybody else. But this, this was proven more than anything else in 1947 with a bunch of shepherd boys um, were out in the, the wilderness. And, um, you know, they, they, they were... They were um, watching their sheep, and one of the sheep got away, and they went up into the, the canyon area, and there was these little, you know, kind of this little uh, cave, like, going down. Was, now, when I say a cave, I mean, we're talking an opening not very big, you know, just probably the size of, of a boy could crawl through. 
And to scare the goat out, the, the, the little shepherd boy threw a rock in there because he wanted to get the goat out. He didn't want to go in after him. I mean, who would in this little tiny cave? You'd be afraid something's living in there. So he throws it in there, and, and <clears throat> instead of hearing the goat, you know, he hears a, a, a pot smash, like a pottery breaking. And so now he's really interested. He's like, what the heck did I just break in there? So he crawls inside and he notices that the rock hit one of many little pots, little pottery things that were old. It looked old to him. And inside were scrolls. Now the interesting thing about this was he, he hit what we now know as the Dead Sea Scrolls. 2,100 years old. You think they're old? <laughs> These are really old. 2,100 years old. And, and the reason they're significant is because what happened was in 1947, they were able to, to take these out and go, oh, look, it's the whole book of Isaiah. Oh, you know what? I have a Bible right here next to me. In fact, there's one in my hotel room. Let me open that up. And they took out the Bible. They took out the book of Isaiah. And they had this 2,100-year-old text before Jesus. And they, they looked at Isaiah, and they looked at what they had in 1947, and they went, it's exactly the same. Oh, there's a couple of, like a comma missing, or a the here or not there, but basically, they're the same. They can't do that with any other text, any other religious text. But they can with the Bible. We have the manuscript evidence. Second of maps is the A, which is archaeology. See, so far there hasn't been one single archaeological find that has disproved the Bible. Not one. In fact, the opposite is true. There's been over 25,000 archaeological finds that support the Bible. Again and again, archaeological discoveries have verified the accuracy of the historical and cultural reference of the Bible. You can't say this about other texts. Because see, when they start digging, and this is, this is what I struggle with with the Mormon uh, people that come to my door. I go, guys, there are no archaeologists who are Mormons. There just aren't. And I don't mean to step on your toes, but they haven't found giant battles in upstate New York with Jewish people and the natives on elephants, like it says in the Book of Mormon. They just don't have it. They haven't found it. But they found 25,000 archaeological finds of the Bible being true, Old Testament and New Testament. What's interesting about this, and I I could share so many, but I'm just going to share one is um, Pontius Pilate. You guys, you remember uh, uh, the Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson and all that? Okay, so you have that, that Roman governor, the prefect, uh, Pontius Pilate. And he stands before her, and, you know, and, in, and in the end he condemns Jesus to death because the crowd is yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And he, you know, he washes his hands and says, I'm not, I'm, I'm gu- I'm not guilty of any man's blood here. And he washes his hands to say he's, he's done with that because he's the Roman governor. Well, for a long time, for, to, into the 70s, 1970s, they questioned if Pontius Pilate even existed. Well, the interesting thing is they were excavating over in, in, in um, I think it was uh, somewhere in, in Galilee by the sea, and they found brick after brick that had, this is Pontius Pilate's summer home. He was the Roman prefect of this time. <laughs> they dug it right out of the ground proving that Pontius Pilate not only existed, but he was the Roman governor of the time of Jesus. See, every time they dig, they find more and more truth. 
Now that third part from maps is prophecy. Now I referenced Isaiah 53 from the, um, and the reason that's important is in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it was written and found and dated to be before Jesus was born. Well, the book of Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus was born. And Isaiah 53, which is in the Dead Sea Scrolls, talks all about the coming Messiah. Talks all about the coming Messiah. Has a number of prophecies in it that had to be true if if God's word is true and Jesus was legit. The odds of getting one of those prophecies is ridiculous. Now, what I think the easiest way to understand this is by giving you an idea of what the odds are. Okay, And so I think the best way to do that is show you a, a couple of slides that kind of show this. Now, the probability of one man fulfilling, or one person fulfilling, 8 out of 60 prophecies, not 60 out of 60, but just 8 out of, of, of 60, is 10 to the 17th power. So that's 100,000 multiplied by 1 million twice, right? That's a big number. That's just eight prophecies out of 60. Now, having one person fulfill 48 out of 60, not 60 out of 60, but 48 out of 60, is 10 to the 157th power. That's like astronomical. In fact, if we were to look at that, this is just 10 to the 48. That's not even 10 to 157. This is 1,000 multiplied by 1 billion five times. Like it's just astronomical. We have a better, um, in fact, 10 out of 157, you have a lot better luck of finding like 10 planets filled with aliens. It's just ridiculous. We have Jesus in the Old Testament being proved through the Old Testament record 300 prophecies. 300 out of 300. Proven. It's astronomical. You have one scholar who says the very dimension of the sheer fulfillment of prophecy of the Old Testament scriptures should be enough to convince anyone that we are dealing with a supernatural piece of literature. God has himself planted within the scriptures in internal consistency that bears witness that this is his word. Lastly, the spirit of God. That's your, the S of maps. From St. Augustine to Martin Luther to Mother Teresa and us here today, countless men, women, and children have been changed and transformed by the spirit of God. Their lives are remarkably different. I, I don't know if um, you've experienced it like I have, because I used to understand when I started researching this, I was like, oh yeah, okay, we can have manuscript evidence, we can have this evidence, and this makes sense, but, but what does it look like in people? And so I started looking at people's lives, I, because I'm the kind of guy that says, don't, don't, don't tell me, show me. I want to see it. And that's what I love about Jesus. He didn't just tell us, he showed us. He came down and lived it. And we can see it lived out in the people around us today. I know people that used to abuse their family and they wouldn't harm a fly today because of the Spirit of God. I've seen people go from addicts to lovers of Jesus and would never touch something that would harm them and get people out of that because of the truth of God living through them and the Spirit of God. It was interesting, I put, um, Jason very wisely said, hey, you know, when you're doing this, you should put something on Facebook that says, how has the, the Spirit of God in, in, in the Bible affected your life? And I got back all these different things, which was great. 
people testifying to see the Spirit work in their, in their fears and their weaknesses and their health and their finances. I mean, you name it. People after people just saying, this is what God did. I trusted that His Word was true and His Spirit confirmed it in me and I saw it in my life. That's what is amazing about the maps that God has given us. Sadly, though, much of the world lives like this one gal, Narina. When a hurricane hit South Florida, Narina's home was one of the many that was severely damaged. Now, the elderly woman received an insurance settlement and the repair work began after the, the hurricane. However, when the money ran out, so did the contractor, leaving an unfinished home with no electricity. Narina has been living without power ever since. The astounding part of this story is that the hurricane was not Katrina, but Andrew. Hurricane Andrew struck in 1992. Marina had been living in the dark, without power, unfinished, for 15 years. you imagine that? 15 years without power. An elderly woman. No heat when the winter chill settled over South Florida. No air conditioning when the mercury climbed in the 90s. Not one hot shower without money to finish the repairs. Marina just got by with a small lamp and a single burner. Her neighbors didn't seem to even notice the absence of power. Acting on a tip, the mayor of Miami-Dade got involved. It only took a few hours of work by electrical contractor Kent Crook to return power to the house. CBS News says Narina plans to let the water get really hot and then take her first bubble bath in a decade and a half. (laughs) Right? Wouldn't you? It's hard to describe having the electricity to switch on, she said. It's overwhelming. See, I guess the question is, we've got the maps, but how many of us, how many people are living just like Narina, without power, without the Spirit of God, not living the way we were meant to? See, the bottom line is that we can trust the Bible for practical living. I can lay the maps out, but it's up to the person to follow them. It's up to us to say, okay, I believe it. I know it's true, but do you believe that it's true? Do do you put your life there? See, you, you know you can get power, but do you choose to live in the dark? Do, I guess the question is simple. Do, do you trust the Bible every day? Every day. See, because God lays uh, this, this groundwork through Paul. He says in verse 16, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, so that each man, each woman in Christ may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, what he's saying is it's so practical. It should be practically lived out. It should be trusted. It's not just, hey, the Bible is right. No, is the Bible right in your marriage? Is the Bible right in your relationships? Is the Bible right when it comes tax time? Is the Bible right when it comes to that job that you just might lose if you were to follow the Bible as you were? You see what I'm saying? The Bible is practical. Do you really believe it's true? Does it look that way in your life? When your relationships come into your life, I used to ask young people this all the time who, who were the, I would say the hormones were getting crazy, right? I mean, the hormones go crazy and the kids are like, but I just want to kiss a girl. So the, Guys would say, and then, you know, the, I just, I just want a boyfriend so bad, you know. And I get you. I mean, that God created us that way. But I said the Bible is pretty specific when it says how we have relationships with others, and how we treat others, and how we love others. 
Do you really believe the Bible is true? Do you really believe that God will honor you if you honor him and live truthfully to the Bible being true and live it practically? Let me give you a hypothetical here. Let's say one day you're at work and your boss says that he needs you to make up the numbers for such and such. Just make up those numbers. Or or flub a bit on, on the tax info because it needs to look better for the review that's coming up. So just put down something or say something that you know isn't true. Now, I don't mean to step on your toes, but I've, I've been here. And when we look at the Bible, see, I, I believe the Bible's true and it says don't lie. And a part of me goes, yeah, you, you say don't lie, but I might lose my job, God. I don't, I don't want to lose my job. In effect, you know you have to lie. You know it's wrong, but let's be honest, you need to work too. You've got to put food on the table. And if you don't lie, your boss may fire you. See, this is where living practically that the Bible is true really gets played out. Where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. See, do you really trust the Bible every day to lead you in the world that gets dark and murky? Do you really trust that the maps that God has given us can lead you out of this? Or is the Bible, is it just words on paper that occupy a few bookshelves at home that we sometimes memorize and hear about on a Sunday but don't actually get played out in our lives? Because I can give you evidence and I can overwhelm you with it, but if it doesn't live practically, then it doesn't live at all. So I want to give you two things really quickly to help this happen, to practically live this out. First is trusting, or trust means I spend time each day in the Bible. Like I know what it says. You should know what the Bible says. If we spend more time in God's book than Facebook, we might actually understand more of what he wants in our life. Secondly, is, is, is trust means we allow the Bible to transform us. Paul's very, clo- very clear when he says, look, the, the scriptures, it, it's good for rebuking and training and, and training up for righteousness. All this is plural words with people. This isn't, I go into a room, I read my Bible, and it's just me and only me, and I don't have to tell anybody else. No. The Bible was meant to transform us. This is why grow groups are so important. We don't want to create a place where everybody comes and everything's great, everything's fine. No, we want to create a place where people come and say, man, I'm struggling with this. Because maybe that hypothetical is you. Maybe you come to Grow Group and you say, yeah, my boss wants me to lie. I don't want to do it. I know the Bible says this, but this is where we can be transformed. The truth is we can trust the Bible to be the, the maps we need in this world. God will deliver you. It just might not be in the way you would have taken. His route is a little different sometimes. Sometimes when you look down and you're like, Siri, where are you taking me? God takes us in a little different route. Maybe you get fired because you don't lie. Maybe your boss, like he said, he wanted you to or she wanted you to and you don't do it and you get fired. And as you find yourself at home... The next day, because you aren't going to the only job you knew for 15 years, you pray and thank God for guiding you, even though you don't understand it. And you don't have the security of the old job. But maybe now God can bless you in, the, in this position 
And he knows now that you've got the time to take that job that you never would have gotten if you stayed in the old job. Or maybe you're a boss, you don't get fired, but he calls you in and he's humbled and comes back to that next day and he apologizes for putting you in that position and he knows now that you don't just say you're a Christian, you are a Christian. And you just don't say you believe something, you actually believe it. And he says, you know what? I need to be more trustworthy and I want to give you a raise and I want to make you somebody who's in charge and not just somebody who takes orders because I can trust you. Or as you're home, because you were fired, your young, impressionable kids want to know why you aren't at work. (laughs) Hey, Mom, why aren't you at work? So you take that opportunity to share with your kids that you really followed what God said in His Word, and the result is they get to honestly see Christianity played out in action as you struggle and trust Jesus and your kids can in turn see what it means to truly follow the Bible. And now they're going and they're standing up and they're saying, if my mom can do it, I can do it. And that's worth its weight. You can trust the Bible because it's true. But will you live it? I want to take this time right now to go to prayer. Because we can give, in, again, we can give intellectual truths, we can give a, a, an emotional response, we can give all these different things, but at the end of the day, are you going to trust that God's Word is actually for you tomorrow? Some of you are going to be going to school Some of you are going to be going to work. Some of you are going to be sitting at home. Some of you are going to be dealing with things that I... I, My heart breaks for you. But the truth is, God's Word is doing something. And it wants to... God wants to play out this journey of faith with you, in you, where you're at. And God's word is true. So what what does he have for you as you struggle, as you walk? Are you going to spend time in his word? Are you going to allow it to transform you with others as you share? one thing to say it, it's another to believe it. So my prayer for you is that wherever you're at, where the rubber meets the road, you would drop to your knees and say, I can trust you. Give me the strength. Give me the courage to take the steps of trust. Because you've said it, I want to believe it and I want to do it. That's all God asks from us is obedience to trust and obey no one said it would be easy but this is what it means to be a follower of Christ to journey with him Lord we thank you we thank you for the fact that you're doing something in our life we thank you for the fact that 
you want to transform our lives. You want our lives to be different. One of the stories that I got back, there was a gal who was really struggling with fear. And she started quoting your, your word where you say, perfect love casts out all fear. And Lord, she really gave it to you and she started looking at your word and what you've said to her and how you've, you, and you started to transform her. And no matter what happened, things would happen and she was strong in you because she gave it to you and she looked at your word. It just wasn't something on the paper, but it was something that played out in her life as she shared with others. Lord, that's what we want in this church. That's what we want with each and every one of us. My brothers and sisters, Lord, we look to you now.